with rvd episode 36 and guess what it's rvd he's here here i am in the uh same uh background that you usually see i can change the background if you want i started doing that at first and i do have a lot of places but this one's pretty cool and i get a lot of good feedback and uh, anyway what up happy today Happy today, indeed. Guys, we are live if you're tuning in live. And we got a good turnout here so far, but we got a lot of regulars here. Greg Jacobson, Mouthpiece Murphy. Uh, we got comments right now. Yeah, looking at the comments here. VBDC, the Seth, as we know, the, the writer of the show. Uh, VBDC. Sweet. Yeah, that's how you do it. Uh, and then we have Mickey Ray Sinatra, too, of GetBlitz.com tuning in. And Slam Death. So, guys, welcome. Thanks for joining. If you have a question, use that hashtag AskRVD. If you definitely want a question asked, use that super chat. We'll definitely get to your questions. Uh, we all we'll do have some topics to cover this week. Um, Rob, has you has any of the committee or has anything in regards to that record being broken? Has has there been some appeal process when it comes to the Van Dam lift or anything going on there? Uh, I've been a little out of touch, you know, so if anything happened, I might have missed it. I uh, and, and and by the way, I apologize to my Cameo fans because I let three of them expire. Oh. And, and not only do you got to, does it wipe out your streak, which mine was in the 70s, I think. Uh, you got to start all over. But also, you're really disappointing people that are like, dude, Dalvin is a huge RVD fan. He loves you. Can you just, you know, give him some pep talk for, or, or it's his birthday or whatever? And man, I hate when I let them expire. But I lost my connection with the, uh, the time-space continuum uh, on vacation. And that was one of the unfortunate byproducts was... Every time I would look and I would know, I would uh, forget. And it's, oh, that's right. Don't let me forget. I told Katie, I told Dee, you can't let me forget. I got a cameo expiring in like uh, four hours. And anyway, um, that flight took more than four hours and I got on it and missed them. So uh, I uh, apologize to all of you and that was really relevant to what we were just talking about. Tell them how, Dom. Tell them how. Tell them how, because it just expired. And uh, I don't know how it tied in, to be honest, Rob. I don't know. <laughs> wow. But I did want to follow up and ask, when those expire, are you able to just do them and be like, hey, sorry I missed your birthday, blah, blah, blah. Boom, it's still RVD, and I'm happy for you. Can you do something like that? Or how does that work? used to be able to it was like uh send them anyway and then there's also an option like ask them to resend the request uh i couldn't find any of those or any trace of the 
the um, requesters. Like, I don't know. I, anywhere on the app, I couldn't find it. It's just as, it's, it's as if they didn't exist and neither did my streak. It's just like there's no. And when I go to expired, like the it goes, the, the, the most recent one was like in May or something. And so I'm very confused about it. And I apologize because I'm positive they're watching this and, um, and I'm going to be on top of it more. I have one right now. It expires already in um, nine hours and 19 minutes. And usually for me, I, I, I don't mean to, but it always seems better later until there isn't much later. So right. a lot of times I'm like, send, send, send. <laughs> you work better under pressure. That's it. I do everything only when I have to. I'm, I'm a lot of the same way as a writer. It's like I procrastinate the fuck out of shit all the time so uh cool let's get to some topics here rob um what did i want to start off with here hopefully the right notepad pops up yes okay so what i did want to start off with was did you get to catch hook versus samoa joe at all this week yes i did all right well yeah. it was a good match huh what it, uh, yeah what and you kind of almost alluded to the respect thing and it almost happened it almost happened it seems but then Hook, uh, Hook wanted more of them, and he got it from Samoa Joe at the end. He gave him a muscle buster to finish it off. But, yeah, what would you think of the match, Rob? Uh, I thought that it was a, a really good match that was, uh, you know, physical and exciting, and I liked the story, and it had really good moments, you know, uh, unexpected moments such as, you know, even even the even even like the suplex through the uh, um, the timekeeper's table like that like sometimes some of the guys just do so much that I was glad to see that still get a pop when it was utilized as it should be, which is like convenience. It's right there. It's something that is at ringside. You know, you're not bringing something foreign and weird with you uh like a glass window or something you know so anyway um i liked it and uh, i thought and, and you know when um i thought that that hook kept you know punking back up uh to him at the end that i liked that you know and when he flipped him off and all that so i caught it and i did miss the very end though because i had my um, direct TV set to record it and they were still going at it when, when it cut out. So I might've missed the last five minutes. Cause doesn't does TBS always go five minutes over. So Tony Khan did announce that they were going to have an overrun this week. So they went over their time. So yeah, they, he was like, and it was commercial free that at last, that main event was commercial free. So uh, they had some special sponsorship stuff going on with Joe's, uh, video game he's part of the suicide squad game and i think that was a sponsorship and collaboration that they kind of took advantage of there and boom yeah that's a bummer so you missed the ending of it but um uh hangman page came out at the end and helped out hook um but yeah i thought it was super cool because you know joe the crowd was really how did they help, how did they help him out so uh once joe came in and gave him a muscle buster after uh hook wanted more of him after the match was over Hangman Page, who cut a promo earlier on Swerve Strickland and Samoa. I said he was coming after Joe. I watched it this week, bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, 
So that's kind of what happened. But I thought it was really cool, the aspect of, like, how they got Hook even more over, it seemed, during the match. Uh, because um, he comes out, and, like, he didn't get as big as a reaction as Samoa Joe did. Like, Joe was getting chants for and all that stuff really starting off. But Joe got the crowd to turn on him, and Hook was fighting from underneath. So then it ended up being more of a boom. Like, he gets more of a bigger impact and stuff. And the crowd really swelled up into him and stuff like that. So that's Yeah, I thought it was a really good match that got both guys over, got their, you know, got their characters over, told a, told a great story. So um, I was, uh, I was pretty stoked. And I can also tell you like uh, um, firsthand, it doesn't feel too good when you're used to everybody cheering you and being behind you and you're in the ring surrounded by an arena full of people saying, Joe is going to kill you. I can tell you that doesn't feel good. You know, I was like, mm, fuck you motherfuckers. Yeah. I bet that's like a big motivator. Like I'm going to prove it. Again. Mm. You know? <laughs> but yeah, he's uh, so over. So yeah, good stuff. dude. Pretty cool to see. Uh, Seth, VBDC himself, Venus Beach Dub Club. Thanks for the ten dollars. He says, "I'm on Insight Four of the Celestian Prophecy." Rob, he says, "I love the first chapter too. It's like deep, hermetic, philosophic, philosophical, secret mystery school stuff, but in a fun pulp adventure novel. Seems for good initiating people in the esoteric." So how about that? Yeah, cool, man. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you picked it up, and I'm sure you heard me say this before, but. It has been uh, life changing to everybody that I know that has read it, because uh, really, if you're not energy conscious or um, or interested in spiritual growth, I don't know if you would read the book and stick through it. Even if you are, it's hard to get past the first chapter. But congratulations, you made it. You're on chapter two, and you're enjoying it. You're on the fourth insight. You said so. Um, it, it's great for those of us that are that are like-minded and um i gotta tell you like uh it might be the fifth uh it's been a while since i remember but as far as like seeing the energy jump like from finger to finger um there's a study guy that tells you how to do that you know by touching it just backing it off enough so that your energy is dissipated at the least while still breaking a what we know as a physical like, connection and and form. And anyway, um, you know, I I didn't I didn't I never was able to to see that or to look at the trees and, and see like the actual colors. I've never been able to see auras. You know, I've always been jealous of uh, people that could look at auras and say you you don't see that like that purple haze around them and i'm like maybe i don't get it but i don't think that's for everybody maybe we could all learn to do that i don't know but yeah this is a great as he said introductory uh doorway into opening your mind to uh, thinking as everything is energy because it is yeah yeah i was telling uh that's in the chat there. I was like, well, I'm going to take it down for reading material because I'm still on chapter one, but I'm going it's to down. Hard, bro. It is hard. Mm-hmm. You got to get past the airplane. It gets on an airplane. And the whole point is that all this stuff just happened to line up unplanned. You happen to just get an extra 
have an extra seat or extra ticket and happened to have this day off, whatever, but everything was lining up and, 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 and really that's all you need to know about that. You can like, go ahead and go on to go on to the next chapter and uh, get the guy, get the guy in uh, Peru already. And then you can, then it gets good. Then it starts picking up. So. Yeah. But the point is the stuff from the first chapter comes back around again and has significance. And the point is everything does. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you read it and you and you're really reading it and you dig it, it'll tell you. You know, like if you see someone and they just kind of remind you, like of somebody, not exactly them. It could be just a hair, or whatever. Like, hey, uh, you reminds me of Dave. You know, kind of. They boom. That person probably has a message for you, and it's like it's a different way of living when you when you think of it that way and think like I'm supposed to talk to this person. And like I think I said before, when the guy gave me the book, we were talking about all these synchronicities and he kept saying dude that's in the book and then he says rob i think i'm supposed to give you this book i actually have an extra copy in my car oh no shit yeah and that's how i got the book and i've heard that from a lot of other people too that that um usually it's given not bought but they're not always of course but it, it was for me so that was pretty awesome yeah so you're right in the thick of it as brad armstrong would say Jerry, oh. the first first person I talked to way back when I read it was Jerry Manthe. She was this chick that was on Survivor, and I used to do autograph signings with her because we had the both both had the same agent, Steve Wolf, and mm -hmm. uh, and I, I always liked her. I thought she was cool. I thought she was cute. I'm not saying I wasn't trying to get down her pants, but I'm saying that you know I used to. So so hey, Celestine uh, Prophecy is a good book, huh? But. She, but at first I thought, whoa, what are the chances someone else, you know, read it too? And then I realized that there are a lot of people like that. And uh, if you're not into spiritual growth, self-improvement, um, and open-minded, then they might not be for you. And if you are, and you really want to stick with it, you get past the Celestine Prophecy because that's a fictional book based on non-fictional uh insights that are written on this supposed manuscript to towards spiritual ascension anyway there's sequels there's a 10th and 12th insight there's a study guide uh, where you can teach you how to apply uh i remember i had a little tiny book too like a little tiny little pocket book that uh that was a reminder i guess of all the insights because reminding yourself uh and being aware of it will remind you because you'll see it more as i always say that that implements it more makes it a bigger part of your life what did you find to be a bigger impact of a book on you would you say if you had to choose between celestian prophecy and the four agreements because those are the two you've talked about majority of the time since we started it yeah, and i like the secret a lot you know and then there was a sequel to that that was like the power um the power of love like huey news uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know because it was the celestine prophecy that was i think my first if i remember right I, I guess that made more of a change because it got me from thinking that maybe i just had this really special relationship with the universe or whatever you want to call it maybe like a chosen one you know like i i've looked at myself like maybe you know i'm a hero and 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 i'm like of this generation i'm the chosen achilles but after reading that book i realized that 
it, that there's actually like a, um, uh, um, I had the word, now I just, just lost the word, but a mass, a mass movement of restless people that um, are unsatisfied and don't know why. And this book tells you that it's because of them being disconnected and, and, and they need to connect back in. And this tells you how to do it. it tells you exactly how to do it. And, and if you really get, get everything out of it and you read it, you will do that. And, and you know, I know when I'm disconnected and all of a sudden I feel like, like my um, guardian angel is on a smoke break. And that's when all of a sudden I stub my toe. Oh, damn it. And then drop something. Then I get frustrated. And then one thing after another, after another, like, oh, wait. I just know. I, it's like, that's what it's like for me when I feel disconnected. And it happens with the negative thoughts. And they, they produce negative energy. It changes your vibration from a positive vibe to to one uh, that can't hold that, that connection. So it could be worry, anger could be um sad you know but you you, you train yourself um to to realize that be aware of it and then to at least for me make it a lifetime goal to try to stay plugged in all the time and it's not different than organized religion except for it's not organized religion but they're trying to do the same thing as far as being enlightened, being connected, being saved, being uh, on the right path to their goal, you know, um, you know, but they don't know what's going to happen when you die. Yeah, just don't. And that's true, though, too. It's like, yeah, there's that sense of restlessness you get. And it's, uh, you know, you want to feel that kind of connection, uh, some source of fulfillment and stuff like that. And I get that. I really get that a lot sometimes. So it's like, I better read this book. <laughs> I better just get, get on it and read it. So, yeah, yeah. it talks about the, the universal um, consciousness moving in that direction. And uh, yeah, it just it really opens your eyes to look at things different. So. I always put it over. I've never had anybody. Well, maybe one person didn't get past chapter one, <laughs> so never mind. But usually, usually it's uh, it's good. And if you're done, maybe I'll recommend some more. But um, the movie, not so good. So forget about that. All right, I won't. I won't put that on my watch list then. <laughs> all right, <laughs> I will avoid that. But not come across the message at all. Uh, yeah yeah just a matter of probably getting some bank off of it or something um kind of this kind of ties in this wrestling related story kind of ties into what uh you're just talking about because like this has been a big aspect of the podcast is rvdology uh philosophy a little bit of different stuff that goes on with it and it's kind of neat uh this week uh, dustin rhodes had an interview with sports illustrated and he was asked about like what he wants his lasting impact to be on wrestling and instead of choosing a wrestling aspect of it, he chose his sobriety. And I have the quote right here. He said, my, sobri my sobriety, that's my legacy. And I understand it's okay to have bad days. There will be better ones. Life has been an incredible teacher. He says, I've learned a lot, and I plan on being clean and sober for the rest of my life. And then he adds, I wasn't seen clearly back in the day, and I paid for it heavily. Sometimes I'm still trying to prove myself, even when I don't need to. I came out on the other side. The devil is still sitting here right on my shoulder. All I need, all I need is to do is walk with him. But each new day, I tell him, no, I'm not going to be good today. 
I'm going to be good today. So I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do drugs. I have my shit together, and I'm fixing to get on with my life. Now, I thought that was kind of pretty, uh, pretty cool aspect for him to kind of talk about, like, hey, because he's been like, I think, 13 years sober or something at this juncture. So it's been a good amount of time. And yeah. um, so I kind of wanted to get your thoughts. Now, we know about, like, the impact you leave on wrestling. But if you kind of had to have a lasting legacy that really lasted outside of wrestling, that, that took a position outside of wrestling, what would you kind of hope to leave for people? so to speak, if you will. Um, fitting in is for condoms. I like it. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I like that. That's good. It's as deep as you want to take that. Mm -hmm. Literally. Right. One way. You could take that on several levels. Right exactly. There. But I hope that my nonconformity and one-of-a-kind approach to the industry and to life is what people will appreciate and be able to sometimes, when appropriate, uh, model their own actions after when there's unnecessary pressure to fit in with people that you shouldn't want to be like anyway, but your perspective right now uh, betrays you. And boom, what are you going to do? Hey, what would RVD do? One of a kind, man. Just, I hope that uh, oh, everybody listening to this right now, tattoo one of a kind on your kid's arm, on their left arm. That way it'll be like right there and everyone will say hey and we'll all know each other like harley owners harley davidson owners yeah is kids uh six months and up you know one of a kind tattoo and then i'll i'll know the validity and the uh the reach of that validity when when you do that because uh why do we try to be like other people why do we let standards be set by other people for us and why do we uncomfortably try to meet those even if we don't agree with them just out of peer pressure or feeling awkward or sometimes just out of tradition or out of uh, fear of change drawing attention um to ourselves so um a lot of times, man, it's not worth it. I mean, if you're in basic training and uh, and he says, everybody gets the wall, don't move, maggots. I'm not saying that's the time to jump out and say, hey, I don't fit in with everybody. Because then you'll have to do 200 push-ups while he stands on your back. And I'm so glad I didn't ever join the military. Okay, love you. I love you. See you, Katie. Love you. Bye. Where are you going? To go get a spray tan. Oh, okay. I'll be back in a few minutes. Okay, love you. Be safe. You. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, what I was saying, period. Yes. That makes sense. It doesn't, like, no, it's like trying to get, like, if you're concerned about what other people think and going off of that, it's like, that's stressful in itself, and then you compound that, and it's just, it snowballs, I think, in a lot of ways. And Living up to other people's standards, it can be 
a meaningless, lifelong agenda that takes the place of a meaningful life of setting and meeting your own standards and then thereby feeling content. I like it, Rob. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, cool. Uh, Something that uh, also got in the news is uh, someone you're very close to is Sabu was on the Briscoe and Bradshaw podcast. I saw that too. Yes. And he made mention about him maybe having a last match this year. And he said it. He said to both those guys, "I'm actually hoping, hopefully, setting up for my final match. I want to do maybe a final match, maybe in July or later, a real final match, just one more payoff." So Sabu, obviously, we saw him uh, on AEW not too long ago. I believe it was over the summer, and uh, he did he did a spot there, and it was very cool to see him not only in a suit but just kind of get that reception and everything like that. Um, Sabu having one last match. I think it could happen. And uh, is it going to be against you, Rob? <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely, it, it can happen. Um, definitely seen wrestlers in worse condition than than Sabu um, pull it off. Hell, a lot of guys did their whole career in worse condition than Sabu is, and uh, with with less mobility. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway. Style's different now, so um, you got to be good and be athletic and be tough and be able to move and entertain in that ring like never before. And that's true, you know, compared to when I watched it and it was Big John Studd versus Andre the Giant. They could just tease trying to pick each other up for a body slam for 15 minutes, basically. And uh, that was what was entertainment back then compared to the athleticism, the, the the more average size guys, I guess, that, that are a little more mobile than said giants, you know. I mean, I, I, I came in um, as one of the smaller guys, and, and, and now it's like, you know, it's, everyone has changed the standard looks so much that um, – Definitely don't think of myself uh, that that way anymore or measure up against other guys like that on the average. But anyway, um, what were we talking about, dude? Sabu. And like, okay. uh, so, last night. Well, I met Sabu um, a couple of weeks ago, myself and Joe Clark, who was my partner. Um, we made the documentary Headstrong. Just Joe and I did everything, every frame, adding music, everything. Um, and so we like working well together and he wanted to do a documentary on Sabu and we got Sabu to meet us. Um, this was last week and, and he met and he, um, he and Joe talked a lot and, and that's where we found out Sabu said that he wants to have one more match cause I couldn't get him to come to Japan when Noah wanted to bring him. He could lay down like a bed on those airplanes, you know, flat, and then um, stand on the apron. You'll just be my partner, but he was dead set against it. But now he's feeling better. He's working out because he's feeling better, and he's feeling better because he's working out. 
And he said to us that night, he wants to have a match. And wow, we're trying to do a documentary. I don't know, imagine the timing of that training, uh, training for that, just that whole agenda and adventure and part of him with the backstory that, that he can share while he's getting ready for his last match. That sounds awesome. I asked him, um, you know, do you have an, uh, an opponent? And he said, no. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, so it's not like a specific booking already that you're talking about. He said, no, I'm just, you know, hopefully um, uh, it can happen. You know, I think he said late summer. I'm not real sure, but it seems like for some reason I got July, August in, in my mind. Uh, don't know why, but either way, he's, he's working out and uh, he feels better than he ever did. And I would love to uh, be part of, of that match. Rob, you're known for your five-star frog splash, but some people don't get the star ratings they actually want in the bedroom. So no better time to bring this up. Hey, this episode is brought to you by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get the extra confidence in bed. Listen up, bluechew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. BlueChew tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. Does it work? Don't you think you need it? Try it for free for a month and see. You're going to love it. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it, baby. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free. F-R-E-E. When you use our promo card, guess promo code, guess what it is? Guess what? It's R-V-D. That's right. Promo code R-V-D at checkout. You just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code RVD to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. One of a kind, baby. We used to talk back in the day about if it worked out chronologically, we would have a retirement tour if we were both ready to retire at the same time and go to all the different countries that we wrestled in before, like Japan and uh, you know England and um, everywhere, you know, um, of course, Australia. And it would just, it was an idea that seemed like it might be feasible like 10 years ago or whenever, maybe longer, but whenever we uh, talked about that, because I just figured he would wrestle himself into the ground. Um, and so since I'm a little bit younger, maybe it would just work out that way, but, I don't see this being my retirement match uh, if I uh, am able to be part of it. But of course, I would be honored, thrilled. I hope that I am his opponent. And I'm really looking forward to um, him growing through this uh, adventure and us capturing it thanks to uh, Joe Clark from Back Row Studios, who we've had on this show. Yeah, friend of the show, Joe Clark. So yeah. Pretty damn cool, yeah. So that's going to be awesome. And 
you know, to see uh, maybe that story get told for Sabu and uh, for fans to watch that, that's even better. And uh, it will just really put a good, big uh, overall end cap on his career, too, and his legacy, yeah. you know? Yeah, and by the way, I, I want to tell him, too, uh, he's come across in a positive way on the video clips that I've seen. Whereas in the past, sometimes he could open his mouth and get himself in trouble and rub people the wrong way sometimes or, or whatever. It was refreshing for me to read all the comments and and see a lot of people uh, throwing him respect. And it was a video particularly of him talking about um, somebody somebody beating their their woman or something. Oh, he was he was talking about someone specific. You you might have. I think it was a different video, and I don't want to say who it, who it was who it was about, but it was about a top guy, and he was saying to the the, the guy's an abuser. But um, at first, I'm like, oh no, don't bury yourself, Sabu. But <laughs> but he was just going on to to say, you know, no matter what you you know you you know you don't do that, and you you know if you got to hit a woman, and boom boom boom, you should do that. And I'd never hit a woman. And the things that he said were received well by the commenters, and they were like, man, Rabu, Sabu seems like such a good guy and so respectable, and you know he's he's someone that stands by his morals. And it was good to read all that, as opposed to uh, some of the um, stuff that people that really didn't know him and were judging him off of the little info they did have on him, which sometimes did come out of his mouth. You know, uh, it's a pleasant change for the family. Yeah. And there was like a small microcosm, like you're only getting a small sample. Like Sabu says, it doesn't necessarily mean that's who he is or anything like that. And it's just, yeah. And social media blows all that up too anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. rumors <laughs> rumors uh that weren't true you know all kinds of stuff but anyway um i thought he just came across really good and uh and the fans did too that wrote comments so that was pretty cool i'm gonna tell them that yeah yeah absolutely and this i think this show has been a pretty cool lesson for if you go guys go back and listen to some episodes and stuff like that we always talk about sabu on here and it really I think it helped accentuate his legacy even more so because we've talked about it before how like under the radar he flies in a lot of ways and doesn't get the respect he deserves and you know for what he's done for wrestling in so many cases. He's happier right now. You know, you feel good. You think good. You're you know you're feeling better. Do you know you can't think good thoughts and feel bad at the same time? Oh, that's something to think about. The same is true with the opposite. You can't think bad thoughts and feel good. So if you want to feel good, you got to quit thinking about those bad thoughts because they dictate your vibration that goes through your entire soul. So if you want to feel good, you got to think good. That's right. And even fake it till you make it. I know that's a fucking cliche thing to say a lot of the time, but it really holds true. If you just act like it, it does, things kind of balance out, you know? Sometimes that's a good uh, a good one to go by. Absolutely. Oh, we had another super chat here. Mr. Whisper. I wonder if he whispered this when he wrote it. Rob, you think you should finally up unseat Roman Reigns? Randy Orton, Cody Rhodes, CM Punk, among others, are all in the mix. Maybe even Jey Uso. When the time comes, who would you give the honor? So who would you want to take out after all those? Those are a lot of heavy-duty names right there. 
Hmm, they are. They are. Um, well, you know, I'm thinking it looks like the money's going to be with Roman Reigns <clears throat> as far as going for the payday. Randy Orton, I've wrestled him so many times. Had some great matches with him. Um, but uh, there was a point where it just seemed to me like the like it was uh, like taking the pedigree every night. Like the office was punishing me for something. And, and even though I like Randy, I relate um, uh, some of the nonstop ongoing um, RVD versus Orton matches with Orton up part of that punishment. Anyway, um, that'd be cool. Work CM Punk. I haven't, haven't wrestled that dude in a single match. I think we're both in that 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 um, elimination chamber. We might have kicked each other a couple times. I'm not really sure, but uh, I like that. Cody and Cody. That'd be awesome too. Mm-hmm. That'd be really, and I'm so glad to see Cody like come up into the man that he is, you know, after seeing him and trying to understand what that star face was. <laughs> yeah, a stardust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just figured maybe he likes that and he's trying to get that over as an artist. Uh I, I don't know if he was stuck with that or if that was his idea or what, I don't know. But either way, I don't mind telling you, I didn't get it, you know? And, uh, and I didn't even know he existed. Like before that, like what Goldie has a younger brother. I never heard that. Goldos has, or I mean, you know, Dusty has two sons. And yeah. so, so to, to, to see him go from there to, you know, being like the man of a company and, um, you know, like, uh, CEO stock, you know what I mean? Like, pretty cool. He has to he has to balance a lot of responsibilities to be Cody Rhodes, and um, probably a lot of stuff that a lot of people couldn't do. You know, obviously, it's not easy to make it to that level. So, uh, I think that's awesome. You know, uh, there was a recent episode we did on Road Dog where he was talking about being a babyface. And uh, the aspect of like, you think about Hulk Hogan was like, you know, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and like just the ultimate kind of good guy. And then like John Cena conveyed that uh, in his hate. But then he got booed out of the building a lot of the times. He became so polarizing because people weren't looking for that. But now Cody Rhodes is kind of back in that kind of role where he's connecting with fans, hugging fans, going to be a best man at some fan's wedding, apparently, all that kind of stuff. Um, you think that in a lot of ways that wrestling is cyclical when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like you get an anti-hero like Stone Cold Steve Austin, that's a baby face, but then you go back down and then you get hit like Cena. They try to build it up for children. He gets booed. Boom. It's goes, you go back to another anti-heel and then here we hit Cody again. Is that kind of cyclical? And you could, you kind of understand, do you appreciate the ultimate kind of baby face in that role? Like a, of a Cody Rhodes where he's doing that stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you break it all the way down, it's pretty much good versus evil, you know, in its most basic form, that's the story, and it's the same story told through many different arts, but, um, uh, a lot of characters are different hybrids and different, uh, dominant or recessive in any of those qualities and being a heel or a baby face. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know a lot of uh, what what they're doing with him right now. I just catch him, you know, a little bit here and there. I think he did a promo or something that I that I saw. So can't speak from seeing it and how I feel about what they're doing. But but overall, um, it, it's great. You know, I I I'm a big fan of the genealogy, the hereditary fucking wrestler that passes from wrestler to yeah. wrestler that's inside of them you know when i first saw tessa blanchard i was like what oh that's so cool you know and i and uh and i thought she's you know and she's hot to look at you know look at her and she's good and i was entertained by her and i was like wow that's so cool that that's uh tully's uh daughter and and, and the whole family you know because the, the blanchards obviously used to run um what was it? Was it San Antonio? No, yeah, Blanchard. uh, I think it's San Antonio. Yeah, I maybe. Was, yeah, Joe Blanchard and uh, obviously Tully and stuff like that. Yeah, I want to say it was San Antonio. That sounds right, Rob. Yeah, because the Funks were Amarillo and the Van Erics were Dallas, Boston, Houston. That's right? it. So that yeah. loose. Yeah, no one cares about Austin, right? No, it, hipsters do now. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, yeah, um, I, I think it's really cool. Just, I guess, you know, which is basically what they're pushing right now is the bloodline. And that's what I'm saying is it's cool, too. It's cool that Randy's a third-generation wrestler. A lot of these guys, you know, I wrestled with their dads, some of their grandpas or whatever that are that are in the ring now, you know. And it's, so that's always cool. I think because I didn't – I wasn't born in the business, you know what I mean? I was an outsider that dreamed of getting inside and against – all odds made it happen. And, uh, you know, I used to watch Jim Neidhart and then to see Natty Neidhart, like, wow, that's so cool. And she looked so good. Yeah. Like, wow. It's like somehow I'm like proud of her um, just because I knew her dad, you know, and um, he would be proud of her too. But she's smoking. Um, and anyway, uh Cody Rhodes, same same thing. Everybody loved Dusty. He was one of the biggest stars ever. And uh, especially in certain parts of the country, he probably definitely was the biggest star. And everyone remembers him and named their cats after him or, or whatever. And so I think uh, it's pretty cool to uh, to be him in that spot and then look at him and see a pretty cool character. Right. Yeah. No, I named my cat after Dusty. Did you? <laughs> yeah, 100% I did. Yeah. There you go. So that's great. Funny story real quick. I actually interviewed Dustin one time over the phone and it was like uh, over on the computer and stuff, but it was on the phone. And uh, my cat Dusty just like gorged himself and ate a whole bunch of food at the time. And as I'm doing the interview, Dusty, my cat is sitting on the windowsill as I'm talking to Dustin and Dusty just pukes all over the place because he gorged himself. <laughs> How what are the odds? Like I named my cat after this guy and here I'm interviewing his son at the same time. <laughs> so, wow. Did you tell him? Did I throw up? No, I didn't throw up. Did you tell him? No, I didn't. <laughs> I kayfaved it completely. I didn't say it. I didn't let him know anyway. <laughs> what, if I see him, if I meet him in person, I'll tell him. Oh, my cat threw up. Well, yeah. There you go. You gotta have a plan. That's right. That's right. All right. Um, so what I kind of wanted to do this week uh, is pretty... Uh, 30 years since Royal Rumble 1994, and I've seen a lot of podcasts this week kind of announcing, hey, we're covering Royal Rumble 1994. We're going to talk about this. Well, I think what we're going to do, 
we're not going to cover the matches. That's kind of, you know, been there, done that. But I think what we'll do is I'll go over some of the matches and some of the Royal Rumble entrance. And if you have, this could be pretty rapid fire too, Rob. You don't got to spend a lot of time on it if you don't want to. Okay. People tell me that on every interview I do and my mouth doesn't seem to know what short answers mean, but I'll try. That's okay. You, I mean, if you got something to tell, go go for it. But I got a lot of knowledge to share, Dom. I know you do, and feel free to do it. This because I mean, hey, Rob, this is your show, you know. I'll try. Hey, Mister Whisper, follow up real quick with the uh, uh, super chat, Rob. One of the leaked ideas for Dark Side of the Ring season five is apparently Mike Awesome. Any thoughts on this? A Mike Awesome Dark Side of the Ring, Rob? What do you, what would you think of that? Um, I think it would be great. Um, my thoughts on that are that it's not going to happen. And, uh, I talked to them about it. I would have been a big part of it. Mike was my road wife for a while in 2001, maybe 2002. We traveled together. He and I, uh, and, uh, Sean Stasiak. Um, when Sean Stasiak was was on the road, for some reason, sometimes I guess we were split up between Raw and SmackDown back in the day on different shows. But me and Mike uh, traveled together. I knew him very well from spending so many hours with him and stuff. And so um, I was very happy that to hear from Dark Side of the Ring when they they wanted to know if I would be willing to talk to them. Absolutely, I feel like get Mike's story out you know that's what immortalizes us and for celebs a lot of people that want to be celebs anyway and don't just stumble upon it that's kind of the goal isn't it to to if you're building your fan base you're building your fame uh that's increasing your stature right and and thereby in your profession your value goes up um mm. His wife didn't quite feel the same way. So um, as I understand it, Mike Awesome's wife, ex-wife, um, put the um, kibosh on the whole project. And I was very bummed to hear that because, uh, like I said, I mean, without that, it's just like bury him and forget about him. You know what I mean? And... And personally, I know that he missed his kids so much. Can't believe he hung himself and would do that to his kids. Um, But he used to love his kids, miss his kids all the time. Not his wife so much. And um, he would be very upfront about that, you know, and I would poke him and grill him, ask him some questions. And he misses kids. And he uses his nose like a dog. Like, I don't know many other people to do that but he would always talk about i can't wait to get home and hug my kids and smell them i love smelling them and smell if they've been playing outside or it's the laundry or and uh that was just something that i thought was peculiar uh about mike and that he didn't miss his wife at all so i don't know what happened but the only thing i can imagine that that makes sense, um, and I'm not one to assume as per RVDology, but obviously Mike and his wife were in a bad fight, going through a divorce. She obviously was going to take the kids from him, which was the one thing that he could not live without. So he hung himself. 
man, man, that's heavy stuff. And, and, and so I feel like, I feel like if they were, if, if this, if the relationship was heavy there and they were fighting, throwing cups at each other, imagine just to be able to snuff out that cigarette. If you look at it that way, you know what I mean? Like there's that red ember of his story, you know, blow on it. It might flame up. It'll keep going a little bit longer, but to just snuff it out, you know, and say, no, thank you. Boom. Screw him. And I feel like that's what happened because if you're looking for his best interest, of course he would want his story told. Sure. We all would. I mean, most of us, you know, I mean, there's exceptions always, and we'll talk about that sometime, but um, that's how I see it was I was just one more chance for her to get the final fuck you. And so I don't think we're going to see that episode. Uh, That's a bummer because to what you were saying too, it's like you think about Mike and like those heavy hitting matches he had with like Masada Tanaka and like just all of those and the legacy he kind of left for himself as an ECW champion being that dominant and like just, he was a money kind of guy, you know what I mean? Where it was just that kind of aspect. And like you, a generation is not going to know about him like upfront, you know, where it's like, Hey, who's Mike awesome. Oh, I have to look back to hear about him. And this would have been a way to convey who Mike was to a new generation of people. And then absolutely like, yeah, it immortalizes when you're on TV, that thing will be watched forever and ever. You know, they're still watching my matches from the nineties and are surprised when they see me and I'm older. Like, Whoa, what happened to RVD? I just saw him wrestle Axel Ryan last night. <laughs> you know, but, um, <clears throat> um, what else did I want to say? Um, shit. Just like him having a lasting impact with Dark Side, it just being a big thing for him, like having it just getting a story again. I was just gonna add that the last time I talked to him, well, well, you know, we did the one night stand, so mm-hmm. he 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 was a big part of that with Tanaka. Um, when we went to do part two, the big RVD and John Cena. Um, match i was reaching out to some talent and i was talking to mike during that time mike was selling real estate and he said he was small i think he might have said 230 pounds it's hard to believe um and 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 he wasn't lifting weights he was just like riding a bike now didn't seem thrilled about trading in the life of a pro wrestling superstar for trying to live on the commission of selling houses, probably wearing a suit, um, for sure fighting with his wife during this time. That was the last time I talked to him was, uh, Hey, we're going to do it again, dude. You know, we're going to make this an annual event one night stand. And, uh, he's like, are you, are you sure? Cause I have to know, you know, I have to have at least two months um, notice because, and that's when he said, you know, I, I'm like 230 pounds. Like I have to put on, you know, a good 40 pounds uh, before I can do that match. And I need some, I need some serious time to get myself big again. And you may have Paul call me and tell me for sure if he wants me on it. And um, that was like the last conversation I had. He was, he was uh, sending me some information on some real estate in Florida that I was uh, interested in 
and possibly investing in. And it was the day after he died uh, that I got that last email from him. And I was like, how could he have sent that? And then I realized it was like, like an automatic kind of thing from his office or from his program that he had sent to me. So I was obviously like on a mailing list or something, but it came from him and I thought that was spooky. And um, knowing him, like I did, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't see him hanging himself. Uh, he was a happy guy, but his perspective obviously changed a lot since the last time I saw him and uh, when he committed suicide. Oh, man. Yeah, it's tough. It's, oh, man. And, yeah, Mike was just – I loved him. <laughs> like, he was awesome. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. He was awesome. Exactly. Well, you know? mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, if you guys have some stuff to share about Mike Awesome, feel free to comment and, and leave us something about it because he was super-duper cool. Um, all right. Let's talk about a little bit of a Royal Rumble 1994 here. Um, it actually started off in a dark match. The dark match was the Brooklyn Brawler defeated Jim Powers. Rob, do you have any stories on the Brooklyn Brawler by chance? Or Jim uh, Well, I, I don't think that I've ever met Jim. If I have, then I just shook his hand once, maybe in passing, you know, but I... I did like watching him uh, and Brian Blair when I grew up and was wanting to be a wrestler. The Killer Bees were very cool, top babyface at that time. I feel like I might have met him, but I, I'm not. I don't know. Um, but I feel like I know him just from a little bit, just from him doing. Um, the, it was like a, I don't know exactly what it's called, behind the territories or something like that. And the there was a territories is one of those things. Yeah, and yeah, and there's a round table, and it was yeah. yes, and he was with Ken Patera, DDP. Uh, anyway, I, um, so I don't have any stories about him, but um, as far as Brooklyn Brawler, um, super guy, like he's so nice, he's. He's like, every time I see him, he gives me a big hug. Oh, man, I love you. I love you. It gives me like a really big hug, and he's legitimately happy and excited to see me, you know, which is a way different and warmer and authentic greet than a lot of us give each other when we do the bro hug and good to see you, bro. Hey, man, hey, how you doing? I mean, that's easy what you get because we see each other all the time. And I'm not very dramatic anyway, but I am always happy to see him because he comes at me uh, with that vibe. And him and downtown Bruno uh, were producers, I guess, during the time when I was with WWE. So they would run around and grab us and uh, say, hey, you know, we need you to, um, you know, stop in and uh, do some promotions for these towns or whatever. when you can and okay cool and um things like that like uh when 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 talent needed uh to do something besides wrestling whether it was for a sponsor or whatever they were uh those guys would be would be there for that always got along with both of them bruno i knew since tennessee 1991 memphis days so um i go way back with him and uh bruno uh 
just saw him recently at a, or I'm sorry, Steve Lombardi just saw him recently at a, at a convention and, um, he's awesome. The, you know, the only bad thing I can say about him is that, um, he said, Hey, uh, I know you're not with her anymore, but me and my wife still pray for your ex-wife. I said, stop doing that. You know what you do. <laughs> Up it. <laughs> yeah, that's not, not necessary. It's okay. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for laughing at that. I feel like some people might be offended. <laughs> if if that was blasphemous, sacrilegious, um, whatever. I think you're <laughs> <laughs> I was going to apologize. I was just wanted to say I've realized that it could be taken that way. That's all. Yeah, you don't got to pray for it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I believe match number two here was somebody you're familiar with. Bam Bam Bigelow lost to Tatanka. To Tatanka. Any stories on Tatanka, Rob? Okay. You'll like this one. Okay. <laughs> None of these stories are known by anybody, I don't think, that I do on this podcast, that I even do on my ideology, on my standalone. All right, anyway, boom. So I met um, Tatanka in 1991, as a matter of fact, shortly after uh, I met downtown Bruno in Memphis because I was in USWA doing their weekly loop uh for a little bit in the summer and then after that was used up i called uh ron slinker who i'd met at uswa who i would eventually travel down to florida and start the icw with and get rob van dammed all that but said hey what the hell? They we're, we're done with our programs here. What what you know? What, how's Florida looking? And he's like, Oh, I'm not I'm not quite ready yet. I need a couple more weeks. He said, Here, call my friend Manny Fernandez in uh, South Carolina. He's starting up this promotion, uh, or he's got yeah, South Atlantic Pro Wrestling. So I drove my illegal ass uninsured Ford Mustang that was held together by coat hangers with like a hundred bucks in my pocket. Um, and I drove from um, 18 years old. What did I just say? Um, no, 89, 91. I guess I was gonna be 20. Wait, in 90, this is 91. So I guess I just, I, I am 20. Not old enough to drink anyway. Not old enough to drink. Uh, I'm a kid from my experiences, very inexperienced, but anyway. Um, hey baby. Hey baby. Um, South, I, I had a two day adventure getting there. My car broke down all this stuff. And anyway, um, South Atlantic pro wrestling was based out of Charlotte. And at this time, Manny Fernandez was the booker. Um, they had some future stars like, uh, Vince Torelli, who would later be Ken Shamrock. Oh yeah. Jacked. He was a badass. Everyone told me um, what a badass he was. You know, they, they said that he had won the last five tough man contests in a row there. And Manny Fernandez is one of those guys that has reputations. Uh, him and Dick Murdoch used to get in fights with like, uh, 
legend legendarily um you know like bars full of patrons and stuff and you know those kind of back in the old days uh so anyway manny is known to be pretty tough and and everyone told me when i first started there that vince torelli had jacked manny up against the wall in an argument and the manny was scared uh and then he'd won the last contest and i was watching him jump up and down warming up before his match and he was like jumping like four and a half feet straight up and i was like wow what an athlete and uh, he was wrestling a guy that would be uh eventually tataka named chris chavis oh. yeah and so vince torelli versus chris chavis was the matchup and that was what i saw on the road for the short time that I was there for my first stint in South Atlantic pro wrestling. After a couple of weeks, I ended up going home. I ended up coming back after Greg Price took it over and I was already living in Florida, blah, blah, blah. But while I was there during this time, South Atlantic pro wrestling office was at this real estate place and Manny Fernandez called a meeting for the talent. So us wrestlers are all in this office and Manny is pissed because something happened the night before that wasn't good for the business. And um, there was a bar nightclub called, uh, I think it was called Plum Cherries or maybe just Plum, but I think it was called Plum Cherries. Dude, this was so long ago. Give me a break if I'm a little off. Yeah, but 91's a long time ago. <laughs> Plum or plum cherry and anyway um the boys would go there and hang out and the night before there was a fight there and one of the guys got carried out by the bouncers and manny was pissed he was pissed and this is a difference between how the business used to be in the the safe work friendly environment that it is now with the um, with the politically correct and the um, equal opportunity. And this was a different world back then, all right? And so uh, he was pissed because the guy was his uh, champion that got carried out by the bouncers. And, uh, and that was Chris Chavis, who was also uh, Tatanka. And... Um, Manny told all of us, he was screaming, like, how is that going to be my world champion when he's seen being carried out by four bouncers? What kind of world champion is that? How am I going to make money with him now? (laughs) And he told all of us, he said, you don't ever, ever let them carry you out. He said, I don't care if it's your fault, how many of them are, you're going to go out swinging. You go out swinging and take as many of them with you. So, you know, that's that's my uh, Chris Chavis Tatanka story. Uh, he had heat. Uh, I don't know who he got in a fight with. Some Mark, I think, someone that wasn't in the business. And I don't know if they literally carried him, you know, like uh, horizontally or if it was just, you know, dragging him by his arms. But either way, Manny, uh, just like other old schoolers told me back there in the day, that, that was the way the business was, like, if you got seen carried out, you might get your ass beat in the dressing room the next day. Right. I, I think about like uh, the mafia too, or like you can watch the Sopranos and like that scene where Johnny Sachs got arrested or something and he started crying 
and everybody's like, "What the fuck? He's crying!" <laughs> and then like, <laughs> <"He's not watching." laughs> you don't want that to happen. <laughs> uh, all right, the next match up, it was the Quebecers. They defeated Bret Hart and Owen Hart for the WWF Tag Team Titles. Pierre and Jacques, along with Johnny Polo, someone who would we know later on as Raven. Uh, any stories about Pierre, who is now PCO, or Jacques of the Quebecers there, Rob? Um, not on Pierre, but um, on Jacques, you know, um, and also 91, but before... Um, Earlier in the year, I guess, uh, I was living in Tampa, WWE. Uh, no, this was after because I'm already in Florida. Anyway, WWE's coming through. Pat Tanaka was office at the Sportatorium, and he was going to get a lot of the local guys that were up and coming jobs as enhancement talent, which is the way the business was back then. A big superstar against a jobber. Or two superstars against two jobbers and tag matches. And it was an opportunity to get exposure, be on TV, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they came through and a bunch of uh, the guys that I was training with and working with got on. I did it. Okay. But Pat Tanaka said, I'm sorry about that. I know I told you I didn't put your name on the list. And he said, they told me, uh, me and... Sandy Beach. There's two, so one of the Sandy Beaches. If you guys drive up to Mobile, Alabama, um, and, and do the next couple of days, you know they'll, they'll they'll put you on there. And they said if you and I was like, well, anyway, Sandy, he wanted to drive up there. They said even if uh, we'd get paid for showing up, which the first day they didn't have a match for me, and I got paid, and I was stoked. Um, one because it was a good payday, $150 uh, to do nothing. When at the Sportatorium, it would have taken me almost five weeks to make that, <laughs> 30 bucks, 30 to 35 bucks uh, a uh, a week on Thursdays. And, and so that's why I was there. I didn't want to be seen doing a job as RVD, which I'd only been for a few months, but I had a little momentum going, I was being pushed. Uh, as this star, I'd been in the magazines, so I try to change my look as much as possible. Uh, instead of having my hair back, I, I dried it out, let it come down. I wear my volleyball knee pads, white boxer boots, blue wrestling shorts that the sheet gave me. Those were the first wrestling trunks I ever got. I wonder where the hell they are. Oh, I think I know where they are. Anyway, um, and uh, I called myself Matt Byrne, right? Oh. Didn't have the match for me the first time I got paid. They said, come tomorrow, because it was a place that was a few hours away. And the next day, um, I wrestled the Mountie, Jacques, Jacques Rousteau. And um, I wore a shirt also, just trying to change my look up and be not Rob Van Dam. And um, after the match was Jacques, I came walking through the gorilla and... Um, as I made it through, I heard some noise behind me, like a little commotion amongst the agents or whatever. And that gorilla monsoon came out, so that's walking after me. He's like, what? And he's coming after me. He goes, you, he goes, Hey, you didn't wear that shirt uh, during the match. Did you? And I'm like, um, yeah. He goes, what you, why would you do that? 
because we might not be able to use that footage now. We might have to redo that match. Why would you wear a shirt to go out there and wrestle instead of showing your body? Why would you want to do that? And I didn't want to tell him because I'm Rob Van Dam, a huge, <laughs> <laughs> a huge future superstar, and, and I don't want people to see me do a job. You know, I was just like, um, I, I, I don't know. I was like, oh, and he's like, we. Well, stand by. We might have to do it again. And I was just like, damn, I fucked up. Um, but also, I didn't redo that. But a little later, they came up and gave me another match. And this one was a handicap match. So now I got to be seen on TV doing a job with somebody else, two against one. But it oh. was with, but it was with Sid uh, Justice. At least he's a giant. And it was me and this dude, uh, Scott Casey. And um, anyway... Boom, let's go full circle here. Sid, at that time, was man. I got two matches, so I got paid twice. Um, Sid was managed by Bruno Harvey Wimpleman, who I told you that I knew from uh, Memphis, right? I already knew him. So he introduced me to Sid. Um, and so I think that that's probably why Sid was so cool to me at that time. And um, after the match, he came up to me. Um, in the dressing room, and he said, hey, man, I just want to thank you uh, for, for what you guys did for me out there. And he said, uh, you know, I know it's not, it's not, it don't feel too good uh, getting beat, you know, two on one and on TV or whatever, but, you know, I just want you to know, like, what, what you did, like, you you helped elevate me from here to up here, and that, and that's where I want to be because I want to wrestle Hulk Hogan. And then he went, pulled out 20 bucks, and he gave it to me. He said, I know this ain't much, but hopefully this will help get you down the road. And I was like, whoa cool you know like wow i don't know if i've ever had a wrestler tip me uh since then um like that anyway but uh that was <clears throat> a story i gotta throw on there again and i think it was because i knew harvey wimpleman and he introduced us so maybe bruno told him i was cool or something i don't know but casey also did say that he gave him the 20 as well so uh if you don't hear enough good stories about sid there's one for you i like it my brother will like that too. He loves Sid. You know what? Uh, and also, what was I going to say about Sid? Shit, I lost it. It'll come back to me. But yeah, I like Sid a lot. That's awesome. Um, and Matt Byrne, what a name. That's a great name. Yeah. Um, all right. This one I'm intrigued by, Rob, because um, I know you've mentioned him before. Uh, and I think he's been on an RVDology of yours in the past. But he happens to be <laughs> my favorite wrestler. And the reason I got into wrestling overall is, um, and you had an interesting story regarding him. Uh, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, took on IRS. Uh, feel free. Do, what is that story that you have of Scott? I know it was a, kind of like a tense situation maybe or something. Just from what I gathered, I don't even know. But um, <laughs> what was it about? Um, there wasn't, there wasn't any tense situations. Um, there was a few times, I don't even think I've talked about it, where he was, uh, annoying me, you know, like, uh, like maybe I was outside getting ready to light one up. And him and X Pac came out to do the same damn thing, uh -huh. and then and then he's like, "Oh, oh, hold on, man. hey, 
he, Robbie's a stooge. I don't know why he called me Robbie, but that was his name for me. Um, and he would be, oh, wait, oh, Robbie's a stooge, man. And he would say it joking sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, he also did that for real one time. Because one time he was asking me if I had any uh, weed. I was like, yeah, I was actually about to go out and, uh, and smoke. He's like, oh, my God, that'd be so good. And I'm like, are you smoking now? Because I can't remember. It was some event. I don't even know what event it was, but I, and I was, and he was like, he goes, yeah. And he goes, oh my God, you know, I go, no, I got, let, I'm going out right now. You want to go now? And he was like, uh, he goes, yeah, let's go. And, and I walk out there and uh, there's nobody behind me. Walked all the way out there, smoked it. He never came out. And then I heard from somebody later, I think it was, I think it was X-Pac, but I'm not sure. Had to have been though. That um, that he was paranoid that I was gonna tell on him or that I was a part. So there was little feelings like that, you know. There was things that nobody else would know. Like when I was, uh, I've been gone for a long time, and then I came back. To the when was that? Maybe it was. I don't know. One of the times after I left for a long time, I came back. It was probably a Hall of Fame thing. Mm -hmm. Could have been even the same Hall of Fame thing. I don't know. I just remember, like, I used to talk to Paige a lot. You know, we had, we used to have a good relationship, and she was, like, one of my closer friends there because I'm, you know, usually a loner, and I would usually talk to her, and, and I liked her, and, and I was looking forward, you know, to seeing her, you know, and I was happy to see her, but th this motherfucker <laughs> was right there um, being annoying, being annoying, you know, and say, hey, Ivy D, you know, she's like a daughter to me. So, hey, 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 Robbie, you know, if you, you just so you know, and I, and, and I was like, and I kept trying to, I was trying to talk to her, but he was in that moment. Yeah. In that moment, he was like annoying in my face or whatever. And, and I actually said, um, and I, I said to her, I said, do you want him here? Because if you don't, I'm going to throw him over the railing right now. We were like on the second story and I a hundred percent was going to throw him, you know, off. Um, and um, she said, don't, I guess, <laughs> but there's been moments like that. Several of those that I've never talked about. So, you know, I, I, I we weren't tight. Um, I didn't hate him. Sometimes he was annoying, you know. Another time we were at that Japanese restaurant um, uh, by Universal Studios where TNA used to put us all up there at the Doubletree. And one of the only choices to eat in the, in the parking lot was this Japanese restaurant. I was there and X-Pac and, uh, <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and Scott came in. And uh, I think he just wanted to to poke at me, you know, like it was, yeah, he, yeah. he would do that. And, and, and it was kind of funny, but to an extent, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He would just be, I can't remember what all he was saying or whatever. And at first I was just trying to get a reaction. And I'd first, it was a little bit funny, like, aha, whatever. And he kept doing stuff. And then, and then I think you could see that I was getting mad. And like, he said something and I didn't, I didn't give it an obligatory smile. You know what I mean? Like maybe I just looked at him or something. And looked down something to the effect where 
he uh, he grabbed uh, Sean and he goes, oh, Sean, hold me back. Hold me back right now, bro. I'm about- <laughs> and I was just like, I'm not going to laugh at that. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> He's annoying me. I'm trying to eat my fucking miso soup. Just eat miso. Yeah. So, yeah, the only, it, there was a lot of moments like that. And, and, you know, the last time that I saw him shortly before he died, we were in England for the um, for the Love of Wrestling convention. Uh-huh. I'll tell you, this weed just kills my memory. I can't remember anything. <laughs> That's sarcasm. Uh, right. I know. You're like pulling no, but- stuff out of thin air here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I sat with him at, at the bar for a little bit for the first time. And I told the story of that. I don't know, every theology. And that's what you're referring to because oh, he's, okay. he said, Robbie, you know, me and you haven't really like hung out and had a beer like this, you know, like we never really got to know each other. And I'm like, um, cheers, bro. You know, <laughs> and then he, he was just in one of those darker moods. I think I could, you know, he had a dark vibe and, and anyway, he was like, like, Rob, do you, Robbie? He always called me Robbie. Don't know why. Johnny Ace, same thing. Um, there's a few people. Mike Lazansky used to do that. For, I don't know why, but anyway, um, there's some people who just call me Robbie, and uh, and Scott Hall would do that. And he was like, uh, "Do you do you like do you know my story, Robbie? Like do you, do you know what I did?" And I was just like. <sighs> Me, um, not really. I was right next to him, you know, and I was just thinking, you're trying to pull me into a dark pit that I don't want to go into, you know. And I just said, uh, yeah, I think, I think I got the story, Scott. You know, I think so. And and um, and I and I just felt like he's punishing himself because yeah. he felt guilty for killing that guy right yeah i felt that but i mean that's that's exactly what his vibe was saying you know and when i did my story uh on instagram um ideology about it um the some of the fans were upset because they forget to me I, he's a peer of mine that i work with i don't see him like a fan looks up to the the wrestlers as a higher form of life so i was giving an objective perspective of what it was like interacting with him sure yeah how can you follow me on that that's that's what it was like um but uh <clears throat> at the that um in the comments anyway somebody one of those fans that didn't like it said uh um something about you know he had no choice but he had to kill kill a guy and it haunts him and and you know you shouldn't talk bad about the deceased and and whatever you know i mean i address that in our ideology too like i'll i don't mind i mean I'll, you know if, if somebody if there's somebody that you don't respect then why are you going to show them respect you know what i mean and i'm not saying that about skull scott but i'm just saying as a rule um, to, to live by, I don't believe in that, like, no matter what, not Scott, again, yeah. using an example, um, dude, the guy was a murderer. He fucking, uh, killed and raped a bunch of women, um, you know, killed and buried the children and stuff. And then the police shot him. And you're going to say, 
I should never talk bad about the dead. Come on, man. Fuck that guy. You know, so, so anyway, everything's circumstantial, which is the RVDology perspective. And uh, somebody had said um, that. And my first thought was, which is what I wrote was, you, you think he had no choice? I've never, ever, ever heard that. I've heard the story told by him in different interviews. I've never taken that perspective where I felt like he had no choice but to shoot the guy. Um, you know, and I think that would be some extra heavy guilt knowing you didn't have to shoot him. If it, it weighs on, like that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I can't speak from experience whatsoever, but geez, to be in that situation and what happened is like, oh my God, it's like that has to weigh on you, you know? It's got to weigh on you. Just taking a life would weigh on someone that has right. a conscience, yeah. you know? But um, even, you know, if you had to do it, it'd be a lot easier to accept that if you had a choice. And when you play that back in your mind, you think, wow, I didn't have to. I got the gun from him. I didn't have to fucking put it in his chest and shoot him. He was already on the ground under me. I chose to do that. And because of that, boom, he's no longer alive. His kids have no dad, whatever. Just saying as an example. And, 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 and yes, about Scott, I'm saying I've never heard a story where my perspective was that he had no choice. So... Um, if you automatically just heard it different than I did, maybe give that a thought. Right. It's like, and that's the aspect is like, nobody, like the, what you hear, you know, nobody was, I, I don't know all the details about it either, but it's just like, from that aspect of like, it's a, just a tough, difficult situation. And to be in that moment and to have, you know, to feel like you needed to do it or whatever it may be, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's just, it's difficult. And way on somebody's mind for a long time and for him to bring it up to you at that point you know it's just it's always been an aspect that's really bugged him for his life and yeah it, you know unless they're psychopathic like when you think about the mobsters that kill their best friends by setting them up taking them out all night to gain their trust and then they're going to go pick a third guy up that's going to sit in the back seat and blow his head off and they just go on and continue partying afterwards those guys wouldn't feel like Scott. So that tells me that Scott does have a conscious um, and, and he does have empathy. And, and that's good because as I've said many times, I think the majority of basic thinkers um, don't have the ability to, or at least the perspective of empathy. Right. And you hear stories from Kevin too, like talk about how generous Scott was when you'd see somebody, you'd just give him money right away and stuff like that. And just be different aspects. And I know from a fan experience, like, you know, I got to meet him several times as a fan, just as a fan. And like, he's super nice and like thoughtful and like, but yeah, like I've heard points too, where it's like, there'd be moments where it'd be like, oh man, Scott's in a dark place. And it's a, it's a, just a different person at that point in time too. And like it, his existence, the ending was pretty sad from what I heard and everything like that. So, yeah. Uh, but no, I, thanks for sharing that. I was always curious about it. And I was like, you know, when I, you know, he was on this match, I was like, well, I guess I could bring it up here and see. Yeah. When you think about it, you know, the Razor Ramon character, uh, if that's based on El Pacino and Scarface, think about 
you've seen Scarface, right? Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. How many people did, uh, I can't remember the character's name right now, uh, El Pacino. How many people did he mow down? Oh, in Tony that? Montana. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Tony Montana. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Tony Montana. How many people did he murder in that movie? You know, like 300 and uh, it ain't haunting him. You know what I mean? Like, so so that that's interesting just to you know he's, he plays the bad guy but probably there must have been a good guy in there Absolutely. otherwise he wouldn't give a fuck like a lot of people don't right right yeah they just worry about getting themselves out of trouble and then boom on to the next one right exactly yeah interesting rob all right uh what I had next was the Royal Rumble itself because uh, the other people we've kind of shared your relationships with already on on this point. Um, somebody that the people, two people that entered one and three in this Royal Rumble were the Steiner brothers, Rob, both Michigan boys. Um, you actually shared a room with Scott two nights at Starcast Six, whatever it was, <laughs> when you're in Chicago. Yes, so, I did. Any any interesting Steiner brother stories? And that. Room also had who else in it? Um, Nash. No, Danhausen, right? Was that the Danhausen? Yeah, yeah. And Danhausen said, "Hey, we're all from Michigan." Yeah, that's right. Okay, so geez, that was there. That's the one you were talking about, and it was like, yeah. "Oh, we're trying to figure out last week who it was, and we thought it was Darby." <laughs> yeah, I got them mixed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it mixed up too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I figured it out after the show. If we never, no, I thought we figured it out. Yeah, what we figured out. We figured oh, out. Somebody okay. chimed in on on the chat. So, who are we talking about now, though? Who's our guy? Steiner Brothers. Man, they've always been super cool to me. I don't know if it's because I'm from Michigan as well, but they had a reputation before I was actually physically introduced to them, and I would watch them on WCW, and it looked like they just manhandled the jobbers and threw them around at will, however they wanted to. And I, you know, I just thought that, wow, that's, that's really cool. And, and also, you know, Scott wasn't, uh, wait, Rick, Scott wasn't as jacked back then. And he would do a couple things. Like he would do a drop kick into a backflip. Yep. And he would also grab the guy and do the backflip, uh, into a moonsault, you know, which, uh, um, which was really cool, and, and that caught my attention. Um, and, and then he became Freakzilla. But uh, I remember meeting those guys in Georgia at an independent show in uh, Cordial City. Ben Masters is the wrestling promoter. I do have a photo of said event. Hey, is there a place either on our YouTube or on uh, Premier Network where, like, when I'm telling these stories, I could be like writing down, like, get that photo, get that photo? If there oh. was. Well, I don't know. What I, do we do with it? Yeah, I could try to find a timestamp or something like that, too. You know, I don't know. Timestamp and stuff. Anyway, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. If we, why would you have a gallery on YouTube? You only do videos, right? But I don't know. Anyway, um, so I remember meeting them and, and getting a picture of them and them telling them, you know, that, I, that I'm from Battle Creek, too. And, of course, I, I had my mullet back then because this is, let's see, this is 93, maybe. 92 or 93 um, in that time period. So uh, much like uh, the the Robbie V 
version of me that you saw in WCW because uh, it wasn't, it was somewhere around that time period. And they, they both always have been really cool to me. And sometimes um, I wondered if it was getting tested when I would wrestle um, Scott a lot. And, uh, and a lot of times when the office, you know, would, would say uh, me up, me up, me up, me up, me up. I was like, man, I wonder if that's, if that's bothering him, you know what I mean? Because it's not something personal, and it shouldn't be, but it's business for everybody, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah, absolutely. And, and to me, it felt weird because I looked up to him. Yeah, yeah, interesting. interesting. All right, next up, who came out? I'm like almost doing the countdown in my head. Oh, here's an interesting one. Uh, number four, Quang. Also, we know him better as Savio Vega. Any Savio Vega stories, Rob? I have zero Savio. Zero Savio, really? Okay. Yeah, we're not in the same place at the same time. Wow, okay. Super nice guy. I've interviewed him once, and he's he's awesome. Might have met him at a convention once in passing, and that would be my only story. How about that? Yeah. No, he's a super nice dude. All right. Number six, internet number six. I wonder if you have any cross through over with this guy. It is Bart Gunn. Did you ever interact with Bart Gunn, Rob? Did I ever? (laughs) (laughs) So I've known Mr. Uh, Bart Gunn. um, And also, what's uh, Mr. Ass's name? Wait, don't tell me. Yeah, tell me. Sorry. Not um, grumpy face. <laughs> uh, that guy. What is his name, Mister S? Billy Gun. Yeah. Okay. So Bar Gun and Billy Gun. Okay. And back in the same days, you know, this is nineteen ninety. It's either like December 90 or the beginning of 91, more likely the beginning of 91. Um, Definitely 91. And I'm in Florida. Oh, and I start wrestling for Eddie Mansfield, who has TV at Universal Studios. I've done TV for South Atlantic Pro Wrestling also. So the IWF would be my second no i did tv at uswa too dude i'm all over the tv already and i'm green as grass not the good purple grass but uh just out of the dirt brand new out of the dirt one brand new grass anyway um so i i met those guys working freddie mansfield back then uh they were the long riders and uh they were one of Eddie's top tag teams and they would wrestle against thunder and lightning, (laughs) Um, which are two big jacked up guys. And so, so I've known him since then, Uh, known Bart since 91. And, and I did do at least one tour in Japan with him for Baba for all Japan as well. Yeah, he was. He was pretty notable for. I know he worked all Japan before, and that, that's pretty fast. Something, something I'll remember. You know, I have a fucking, I have like a maybe a whole book of just weird things that I remember that 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 would always be triggered when I think about certain people, and it's random. You know, like I'll always remember uh, Test telling me when I was um, uh, 
remodeling my house that I need to get the automatic trash compactor. It'll save me so many trips <laughs> to the garbage. I'll always remember that, you know, and I got, I got, I have a whole bunch of those like that. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, one of them is just, um, I'll just I'll, I'll always remember that watching Bart, um, brush his teeth before his matches. Not everybody does that. You know, it's very courteous. Yeah. It is courteous. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. And that that's something that stuck out, you know. And, and it's and it's awesome that he won the tough, tough and brawl for all. Brawl for all, yeah. So I always always have mad respect for him for that. Now, did, did you when you saw that he won? Were you kind of were you like, oh wow, I could have definitely seen that, or like, was that? Were you caught off guard that he won the whole thing? Um, I think that it was spoiled for me before I saw it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, interesting. All right. Number eight, this is an interesting one too, is Mr. Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund. He was a hero. Uh, well, um, <clears throat> I know Bob through a mutual friend. And so um, my most of my experiences with Bob are from seeing him at conventions, maybe a Hall of Fame. Didn't work with him, um, but I, I was always one of his reputations that people in the dressing room know him for is that he was always working out, staying fit, and and you know impact uh, down there. I've heard the story a few times on how they. He, they wanted to film him. He does this thing, and maybe he was, maybe he marketed it. But he had a little thing that was a box, mm-hmm. and it was and it was a whole workout gym because you could do steps on the box. I think there might have been an ab wheel inside of it. And anyway, this was the Bob Backlund box, and 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 they wanted him to, or the idea was for him to be doing like three three hundred because that's his workout doing three hundred steps. And he insisted that he does the whole thing. And they're trying to say, no, no, we'll just, you know, we can shoot you starting and then we'll just shoot the end. And, uh, and for him, he had to do all 300. And even though, you know, they were like, but the video is not going to be that long, you know? So, um, I, I always think of that. And then I use that, uh, as a, as a workout uh, model too. Like I do, uh, steps on my sauna and I got to at least do the Bob Backlund, uh, 300, in order to uh, to give myself credit for hitting the hitting cardio that day, but I don't know if he did it. I don't think he did it in the sauna, but he might not have been extreme anyway. But I've, he's had me in his chicken wing at a convention before. That's great, is he shoots on and stretches all the fans at the conventions, and and they love it. They ask for it. They yeah. have chicken wing and pull their face back and scream at him. Is this what you wanted? It's nuts. But um, I don't think that, from what I understand anyway, uh, he might not be at at more conventions because uh, I think that he is in a um, deteriorating state of mind. Oh, interesting. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he came a couple of years ago to Pittsburgh. I got to meet him and stuff, and he's a very nice dude. But yeah, yeah, fun guy. Fun dude. Uh, number 10 to enter is Virgil. Did you meet him mostly through conventions or did you know him beforehand, Rob? Virgil? Well, silly. I actually 
remember seeing Virgil that time I kissed Ted DiBiase's foot. Jeez, oh, yes. Yeah, so that's 85, 86, whatever. Yeah, that. wow, okay. Mm-hmm. There's also a picture of you online uh, backstage or at something with WCW because he's got the NWO shirt on. You have a Ghost Rider shirt on. So. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um... When did I get to 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 know him? Uh, you know what? It was the group out here in Las Vegas uh, when the NWC uh-huh. that I that I've talked about that the Buffalo Bill who was killed by the mobsters used to. Yeah. Right? Um, that's uh, Unsolved Mysteries, October two thousand twenty three season, um, titled "Death in a Hotel." Check it out. Um, so. Um, it was for that. It's called NWC, and Virgil used to come out for that, and I got to know him uh, there. And also, I don't remember it, but he was at what would have been one of my first four matches. Um, it was in, I think, it was either Pennsylvania or it was Wheeling, West Virginia. I thought it was Pennsylvania, but... Um, Anyway, it was uh, the sadistic Dr. Sam Siegel was the promoter. I think this was my second match, actually. Really? So, yeah. It was so early in my career. And uh, and Sabu was talking to um, to Virgil. And so after Virgil was on TV, Sabu would tell us, you don't remember him? And he's like, he was, he said he was telling us he's going to WWF. And he said, I thought he was full of shit. But, you know. <laughs> And I, he said that Virgil had um, suits, like on hangers, and he was like showing them off or whatever, hanging them in the dressing room that night, which is funny because we dressed in like a little trailer, you know, the heels came out one side, bay face side of the other, like a little, <laughs> well, I remember it being like a 15 foot trailer, not a really big one. So, but, um, so I guess he was there too, though, according to, uh, according to Sabu, and he said he wasn't full of shit, so um he's been around um i guess you know as far as funny story goes you're not going to beat me kissing ted dibiase's foot yeah in that, that. In, a, in a slap of virgil's shoulder hey bro <laughs> i saved you guys a lot of money by being a shitty negotiator that's right <laughs> hey virgil i'll get him something nice to eat ted <laughs> i'm a horrible haggler <laughs> right that extra three, four, five hundred bucks I could have got by saying no, instead of dropping down on the ground and sticking your toes in my mouth before you even mention the price. Hey, take some of that money. Take my man Virgil out here. Throw a burger down his throat. That was an RVD though. That was Matt Byrne. I thought that did that. That definitely was not RVD. You're right. Yeah, it was, I think it was Matt Byrne. Yeah, they looked like you know what it was. <laughs> right? Just didn't know yet. He just didn't know yet. Wasn't aware. Number 14 entered was Doink, also known as Matt Bourne. Any stories on Matt Bourne? No, sir. Okay. Yeah. A polarizing figure backstage, apparently, from what you get. Yeah, nothing firsthand I can share. All right. Well, number 17. We got Mr. Spark Plug Thurman Holly, I think his name was. Yeah. Bob Holly at this point, at this juncture. Any stories on Bob Holly there, Rob? 
I can't think of anything that would be interesting to talk about except for rehashing that time he was pissed off at Renee Dupree. Yeah. And and he let everybody know. You know, he let Renee know it's coming. He let all of us know that he was pissed. He said that he let Renee borrow his car to go to the gym and that Renee got a parking ticket and that he just tossed it. And, and never said anything to Bob about it. So then Bob had to, on his days off, fly across the country and go to court and fight this, take care of it, blah, blah, blah. And, um, of course, Renee was like, oh, I never saw it. I didn't know about it. Uh, and in Bob's mind, that was worthy of an ass beating. <laughs> in his mind, he was positive that, you know, that was, that's that's what it, that was what that equaled, what it, what it validated. So... He was uh, for sure going to do that. I don't know if Renee could have said anything. You know what I mean? Like, if I was trying to find out, like, is there anything he could he could say? You know, and he's like, um, man, I had to go on my days off all the way to Ohio. He's like, fuck that. And um, he he was determined, and, and, and Renee knew that it was coming. And uh, Renee being in the position of being – very young in the business and knowing how the business works and knowing that Bob is one of the enforcers of the wrestling codes. Um, he, he wasn't going to, going to fight back. So it's not like it was a fight, right. but, but they put him in a tag match. And so Bob was like, um, yeah, we're tagging next week. You're dead. And, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but let him know it was coming and when it was coming. And so it was a sellout at the curtain, which is what we call it when everyone in, in the back is, you know, peeking through to, to watch. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, every, it was like, uh, that, I think that Kenzo Suzuki, I think was in the match. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think so. He had a, uh, I think that yeah, was, no. that was the best partner. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So Bob would be working with that kid. And then if he would tag Renee in, Renee would come in and Bob would just go to straight punches to the face, left, right, left, right, left, right. <laughs> and then uh, Renee would end up tagging out again. And uh, and then uh, Renee would come in when whoever Bob's partner was, not maybe it was uh, Billy Gunn, I don't, I don't maybe, but um, either way, uh, boom, as soon as Bob would get tagged in, boom, 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 every time, just straight faces. And, and, and Renee trying to do the respectful thing the right thing to not get himself more heat, he wouldn't fight back. And then uh, eventually somebody won, the bell rang, and, uh, you know, Renee got out of there and uh, speed walked his way to come back to the dressing room to get out of there because it was, you know, it was a beating. Right. Uh, and, uh, and it was only professional really on, on Renee's part, you know. Um, but it was old school mentality on, on Bob's, I guess, you know, and that's how it works. But he came in because he was walking really, really fast, kind of like, like a jog. And he came in and as soon as he came in, he like stopped like to catch his breath. And I, and I remember like Bob comes right in behind him and I'm like, no, keep going. You know, and Bob went yeah. whack, whacked him with a chair in the back one more time. Bam! Renee went down from the chair shot, I believe, 
um, and sold it, you know, and, and then, uh, and then Bob had enough, you know, like he, he was like, you know, like, okay, I did what I had to do. That's seemed to be Bob's vibe. And, uh, I just remember like, like, no, turn around. Don't stop. Turn around the <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> Jeez. Do you think, uh, did it get Bob any respect for Renee after that? Or was it just like, all right, it's over and done with, and I don't want to deal with them anymore. Or- Anyway. Uh, respect for Renee from Bob. Renee from after for him just taking it and being like, you know, yeah, that was what it was. I don't have any reason to believe that it did. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I would, I would hope so. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe so. And I think Bob got in a little bit of trouble for like, I don't know, a little suspension or, or, or something. Um, but you know, from like from hearing Renee's tell the story on his show, for instance, mm-hmm. doesn't seem like they're buddies. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it may have never been. It, it may have just became a professional relationship after that, which happens a lot when guys fight each other. They still got to work together. You know, they got to work together. Yeah, and you're just like, okay, well, you know, this is a business. That's how it goes. That's how it used to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 20 was Greg the Hammer Valentine. Greg the Hammer. Any stories on Greg the Hammer there, Rob? I always forget that I think he lives like very close to me. Oh, yeah. I remember you saying that. Yeah. And I always, yeah, I got to try and try and find him sometime. But um, so <clears throat> I met Greg. The Hammer Valentine. Oh, well, when I was a kid at WrestleMania 3 at the Pontiac Silverdome, I did have a sign I held up that said, um, Greg the Hemorrhoid Valentine, which I guess I must have thought it was funny and and that they were going to be able to see it from... Way up. <laughs> yeah, eight miles away. But um, I worked with him uh, for that South Atlantic uh, Pro Wrestling that I had talked about before, but not the one that Manny Fernandez booked, but a while later, Greg Price took over the book. That's when I was living in Florida. And then uh, Greg wanted me to come back up there because he saw a future star in me and wanted me to uh, come back up there. And I started driving back and forth doing South Atlantic's uh, shows and TV. and that was a big upgrade for me because uh, my pay was uh, quite a bit more because coming from further away. And <clears throat> during that time, I wrestled Greg Valentine um, quite a bit, 92, 93, maybe 94, maybe, maybe 95. In that, in the, in those, in that window of time there, I wrestled him a lot and I learned a lot from him those were the days when you didn't uh talk about a bunch of crap before the match so i would be listening to him and um and that would be hard sometimes because sometimes people have voices that that are hard to hear hard to understand what they're saying or whatever um but i i just remember with greg you know he would uh he would he would he was teaching me. I was, I was, what he was doing was making sense. You know what I mean? Like I was the baby face, you know, and uh, 
whatever, maybe whatever, and you know, um, boom, duck clothesline, arm drag, another arm drag, hold the arm, boom. And it was just um, hearing it, doing it, <clears throat> being good enough to know what he's talking about, hearing the crowd react to the story that he just told, and boom. So I did tell him and Manny Fernandez, because <clears throat> I wrestled him a lot that same time, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> put both of those guys over sometime in the last several years and said, just what I'm telling you that listening to those guys is uh, what taught me a lot about, about wrestling. When you work with somebody like Greg, is it like, does he make it easy like for you, for you to work with him? Or is it like you're learning is challenging, but you're learning from, or is it a little bit of both from? Um, you hear how good he is in the ring, basically. Yeah, as, I mean, as I remember, he made it about it as easy as it as it could be, you know, like, um, yeah, just getting me in to where we have, where we're on that common page, and I'm ready for whatever he wants me to do, whether it's I'm going to take it uh, or give it, either way, I don't know until I get to hang and work him a bunch of times and then figure out, okay, we keep going back to uh, two arm drags and then hold the third one in an arm bar. So I get it. We keep going back to the arm drag, arm bar. Okay, now I'm doing a drop kick. Whoa, leapfrog, arm drag, arm drag, hold this one. Okay, I get it. You know, and it's not, like it's, it's, it's something that's not done a lot um, I, anymore, and I don't want to <laughs> complain about the lost art, but it was something that, was um, on the site training, <laughs> on, yeah. the job, on the job training. Like yeah. hearing the people react to it made it different than just doing three arm drags and an arm bar because it made sense. You know, he's coming after me, trying to get me. I'm evading. I'm boom, quick enough to do it once. Boom, again, boom. This time I hold him down. And it, all of that wouldn't make sense to me as I'm doing it uh, without the crowd letting me know how they feel about it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So you got to be in tune and on the same page with the crowd and with him. And he was one of those guys during that time of my career. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really awesome. All right. This next two might be pretty interesting because they have some ties to all Japan. The great Kabuki entered at number 22. Do you have any stories or experiences with the great Kabuki? I have none. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Now, I wonder if you have any about it with this. How about Tenru from all Japan? Um, you know, I think I've been in like uh, maybe a six-man uh, with him or something, but I don't have any any stories or any funny stories. Yeah, because I saw Kabuki was trained by Bob. Oh, that might be interesting. Probably. Thank you. Oh. Bless you. Yep. All right. We'll close out with him. This person. It is. He was the co-winner of this, along with Bret Hart, who we've talked about plenty of times on here. But Lex Luger. Any experiences with Lex Luger? Hmm. So I don't think that I met Lex back when I was in WCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know him if I did meet him. I don't think he was on the on the cards at that time for whatever reason um but 
everyone in Atlanta, and, and we used to always from the WCW guys would all stay at the, uh, um, I think it was a, a Ramada uh, down south of Atlanta that was called the Dungeon. That's because all the boys stayed there. That was where they got put up, where they lived when they were uh, when they were doing like the peach tree tapings and everything in between. But anyway. Um, <clears throat> Who was the guy? He took him off already. Or oh, were we talking? Lex Luger. Okay. We knew that Lex and uh, and Sting owned the main event gym in Marietta. And that was like a place that the boys would try to go to work out because the wrestlers were there. And, um, and Scotty Riggs, who was a friend of mine, would go there and work out. And he became friends with them, with Sting and Lex and, and Bagwell. And um, I really didn't uh, hang out with, with them. And I don't think that I actually um, met Lex until um, the last uh, couple of years, you know, so after his um, whatever happened to him, you know, was it, yeah. I don't know if it was a, a stroke or an accident or, 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 or whatever, but I, when I saw him, I think, you know, you might have seen the video, um, and yeah, I I think this is the first time I met him. When I'm, uh, you've seen this video where I'm standing next to Lex and I say Rob Van, and then Ron Simmons goes, "Damn!" Yeah, yeah. I think that was the first time that I met Lex. Was right then, <laughs> <laughs> and his laugh was so great laughing yeah. at. Him. <laughs> he's a nice guy we get they do on ad free shows they do the lex express mailbag and so he it's kind of cool to get his perspective on stuff and stuff so awesome pretty neat well cool this was fun rob um trying to think of the, oh a couple super chats we had real quick before we close out uh let me pull them up here um okay i filter in like i'm not gonna let the doobie go out while i'm talking anyway right speaking of filters Greg Jacobson, a friend of the uh, Road Dog podcast, asked, did Rob ever smoke cigs at any point? Did you ever smoke cigarettes, Rob? Never. never. No, I never did. And, um, <clears throat> it, you know, a lot, of, a lot of listeners might not travel, so you might be learning something here. But in Canada, and they also do this in, in the U.K., and in uh, the United Kingdom, they like to mix the tobacco with the weed. Oh. Yeah. It's very popular over there. Even in Amsterdam, like a lot of the people do that. Um, and I used to like that uh, there was a particular place that used to be my favorite, so it's not there, called Funny People. And he would have the glass petition set up for the people that want to add tobacco in it so that the rest of the people um, could be, you know, free and, and healthy. Uh, but a lot of the places are the opposite. So they say, if you don't want tobacco, you can go there. But that's because it's because it's it's very, very popular. Anyone that smokes that's in Canada or the UK or Europe uh, or anywhere around there, they know uh, what I'm talking about. And every once in a great while, like say maybe it's been a few days 
and I'm with someone and they're smoking it. Maybe I'll be like, uh, yeah, you know, let me, let me see that thing. I can't handle it. My body rejects it. Like I'm trying to drink gasoline. Really? I might think, uh, oh, hit me one toe, you know, sounds nice. When it has tobacco in it, I'll be like, <laughs> and I'm like pounding my chest like a gorilla and it hurts. And I, and I, my body just rejects it. And so, um, I've never smoked a cigarette. And, uh, when it comes to the, uh, those, uh, I can't remember exactly what they call them, spliffs or whatever, whatever. Um, I can't take those down, those down either. And I, I'm reminded of that like every few years when I, or they won't tell me that it has something in it. You know what I mean? I'll be, especially if we're there or Canada or someone say, Hey, you want to hit this? And I'd be like, sure. <laughs> like you asshole, you didn't tell me it had tobacco in it. But um, they say they can't believe I smoke it with just weed because that's too much weed. Really? That's the perspective I've heard that they can't believe I smoke a whole joint with just the weed because they would get so high. And that's why they like to put the cigarette, uh, you know, to mix it with. But that's what I've heard anyway. I don't know if that's everybody's perspective. And I doubt it because we all have different perspectives. That's right. Oh, geez. I never knew they mixed. I never knew that was a thing to mix the tobacco with the weed. That's pretty- Always learning on the one of a kind podcast. How was about that? Uh, <laughs> The theme artist himself, Seth Bass, BBDC. Can you bring Conan on? I feel like he and RVD could just smoke and talk about life. I'd be there for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be cool. We could uh, we could definitely uh, do that sometime. Um, our format, you know, isn't really either about having guests or me by myself, and so. It's not like uh, we have a specific format. And when we do have guests, you know, so far it's usually people that I just hang around with. Instead of interviewing them, it's more like um, them contributing to a conversation. Someone that I don't know or hang out with that much, like Conan, um, I guess we would have to change that agenda to be more like interviewing him or he might feel like maybe we're wasting his time. You know, like if I, like when I was on man cow several times, I'd be on, Hey, cool. I'm going to be on man cow. Then I'm on there and there's like six other people on there. And then they're all moving so fast with everything that I'm like, boom, boom, boom. Like what the fuck? And it's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta fight to, to get a word in to be online. You know? And anyway, um, I feel like certain people, certain guests, you know, we uh, were talking to somebody that has a really big uh, reach. I'm not saying it's Maven. I'm not saying it's not. But um, I like Maven. He's someone I hang out with and normally um, joke around and just have a conversation with. No. So, you know, Fonzie, Sabu, um, a bunch of the guys that I hang out with. Um, definitely. And then reaching outside of that inner circle. Um, well, I guess why the hell not? Let's do it all. Yeah, we can definitely. Can. And you were on Conan's show too, uh, early on when we first kicked off the podcast. That's true. That's true. How about that? How about that? They owe me. Kevin Nash owes me. Yes. We got, yeah. we got a lot of IOUs to cash in. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll close out with this one or uh, this super chat here. 
Uh, thank you guys for all the donations, by the way. Oh, I really do appreciate it from Mr. Whisper to Seth to Greg to everybody here. So um, here we go. Orlando asks, hey, Rob, what was it like working with JBL? You mentioned uh, um, I don't, I don't, mm, I don't remember working a whole lot with him. I think I do feel like I've taken a boot or, or maybe I had a mess with him. I don't know. That's interesting. Like, I kind of feel like I was in the ring with him and, uh, and I feel like it was, um, it, I wonder if I'm right about that. YouTube, uh, Chris would know. If I ever had a match with JBL, but it was, um, uh, he's snug and, um, I must know that for being in there with him, but snug in, in a way that, that I like, you know, cause I like, I like it that way. So, um, as far as being in the ring with him, it would be fine. Um, you know, back, back when he had the, the loud, um, I gotta be the center of attention voice that bellowed out like a loud, proud Texan, um, being around working with just being around that energy. Um, I even back before I was really into learning about my own spiritual growth, even back then I was in tune with energy enough to know that that sometimes would strike me, uh, as pleasant as nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> yeah. There was, um, uh, I know Sean Oliver brought it up on the Nash podcast. It's like the, they always talk about like how you were like, oh man, did JPL's like, I don't remember what, destroying your Zen or something was what you said. Yeah. I think it was. And they <laughs> yeah, were, it was never, cause yeah, cause it was like never any uh, issue or, uh, you know, any, anything like that. It was just, um, um, it was just like in general, I still like some, if someone's really loud, you know, that's, I'm glad that Katie knows and understands me because it's, sometimes I don't even have to say it, you know, it's yeah. like, do you want to go sit outside? Cause there'll be someone at the table that why, I don't know why, but they just <laughs> want everyone to be listening to them. And they're so loud. A lot of people in general, um, yeah, they disrupt my, my zen. <laughs> well, I think you gave everybody a pretty good zen here this uh, week here, Rob. With, uh, okay. the, we covered a lot of ground. I'll tell you what. Holy smokes. Yeah, it feels like we've been talking for a long time. Yeah, right? Did you want to do an RVDology or um, next week or whatever you want to do, man? You know, maybe since we went so long, maybe we'll just uh, wait because... I think I gave a lot of my perspective um, anyway and hinted on a lot of values. If people were inclined, they would have picked them up. Um, cool. I, I'll uh, I'll put this stuff off. Uh, I had an idea, a couple ideas, but I don't really, and I'm sure Katie and Dee don't really want me on the laptop another 30 minutes. So <laughs> thanks, everybody. Um, is it too late to say Happy New Year? Probably. No, you can still. Um, see you soon okay i like it i like it guys well we will see you soon here on one of a kind with rvd if you like what you're seeing go to rvdpod.com go to you can get mm -hmm. 
go to streaming early. I point down to the premier streaming network if you want to get early. Rob shows the guns over there. Dang it, I'm going the wrong way. We need to talk about this. Holy smokes, Rob. Whoa. Good golly. Tune in every Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Uh, you can get us every Monday at 4.20 p.m. The episode drops on all your podcast streaming choices, and uh, we're going to do YouTube stuff, too. So be on the lookout for some announcements, some fun stuff. Uh, and, hey, it's always a good time. Rob, it's always fun to do this with you, man. Indeed. I appreciate uh, another week of good conversation, good memories, and um, hopefully we'll get some uh, feedback and See how they appreciate it, because I did share quite a few life lessons if you pick them up, as I always do. Being the wise, being the wise Zen ninja master that I am. Mm, I like that. Wise Zen ninja. Pull up and show. Barbie. We'll see you guys next week here on One of a Kind with Barbie. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Thank you.